you would, take your Bibles. Let's turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 20. What I'd like to do is read the text, and then I want us to pray about a couple of different things before we launch into the message today. But we'll be looking at Acts, chapter 20. Acts, chapter 20. And when you find that, we'll be reading beginning at verse 17. Now from Miletus, he, that would be Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am coming to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself." If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears." And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is God's word. Before we pray, you will see a picture of one of the local congregations here in town, the largest congregation in town, Mount Washington First Baptist. They are still searching for a pastor. They are getting closer, but... You can only imagine how important this is for them, for the present and for the future. And so I want us to want to pray for them as we pray for us today. Also, I want you to remember that on the first Sunday of every month, we have a team of great people who go to Elmcroft and to Green Meadows. They'll be going today. They are excited about it. You know, I was talking to some of them. They, they look forward to this. They go and they sing, they spread the word of the Lord, and they also spread good cheer. They go around you know, visiting with people, they bring them in, you know, they go to the rooms, bring them in, and uh, let them enjoy the singing. They sing with them. I mean, it is a great thing that these folks are doing. So I want us to also pray for them today as they go. So would you, just, let's just take a moment to do that before we look to the scriptures. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. You love your church. You love your church. You are committed to the welfare of your church. And that includes every congregation here in the city of Mount Washington. 
And so today as we pray for ourselves and our church, we pray for Mount Washington First Baptist Church. As they continue their search for a pastor, we pray for the search team and all those who are involved in making this decision. We pray that you would guide them, that just as we sang a moment ago, that you would lead them in this process, and that you would deliver to them the man that you have to feed the flock, someone that can work together with other leaders in the congregation. May your blessing be upon Mount Washington First Baptist Church. And for our team of, of great folks, men and women, that you've given gifts to, extraordinary gifts, to bless the residents at Elmcroft and at Green Meadows. And would, you, would you help them today? They want to do their best for you. Would you help them? And uh, as they go, may they truly not only spread the gospel of good news, but also good cheer. Praying with the residents, and singing with them, and encouraging them in the Lord. And today, as we open the scriptures, we're mindful, Lord, that uh, we are a congregation who needs your leadership, your guidance, your care and welfare. So, uh, as uh, as we open the scriptures together today, would you speak to us for our health today and for our spiritual health for the future? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today, beginning of the day, I want to speak to you today and for the next few Sundays leading up to Easter on the subject of leadership in the church. Leadership in the church, shepherding God's people. I want to do that beginning today and over the next few Sundays. And, you know, I feel like I need to say this at the beginning. You may have come today and think, boy, this is the last subject that I'd be interested in. You know, I've got this going on. I'm facing this right now. I've got these health issues and got these issues in my marriage. You know, you think, I was hoping that I was going to hear something today that was really going to address my particular need. And I just want to encourage you today because I think what, 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 you, what I would hope you would go away with today is that God deeply loves his church. He deeply loves his church, and he is committed to his church and to its welfare. And that means if you are part of his church, he loves you. He's committed to you. And I believe that, that at the very minimum, that should brighten your day. That should help you throughout the following week that God is committed to his church. Now, if you're here today and you're not part of his church, all the more reason for you to listen uh, because God is deeply committed to his church, and he sent his son to purchase, to die and to purchase the church by his own blood. And so there's been a tremendous sacrifice made to enable you to come and be part of God's family. And so the invitation is for you to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, come to him today, and be part of his church. Let me ask you a question as we begin today. What do you suppose could be the worst thing that could happen to a church? Think about that for a moment. What, what might be the worst thing that could happen to a church? You might say, well, perhaps a church closing. And that could be the worst thing that could happen. Did you know that between 4,000 and 7,000 churches in America close every year? That means that a little over 11 churches per day, per day, 
close in America. Now, those statistics are based upon the years 2013, 2014. And so uh, those who collect these kind of statistics say today in 2018, the number is more likely closer to 10,000 churches per year. That would mean over 20 per day in America that close their doors. What is the worst thing that could happen to a church? We might have that on the list that they would close. Another thing that might be on the list would be the intrusion and the embracing of false or unhealthy teaching. In 2015, Grace Point Church in Franklin, Tennessee, announced that they were now going to be a progressive church. When you hear that phrase, your antennas should go up. Because what it meant for them to come out as a progressive church was for them to say that they were now endorsing gay marriages and would be performing gay marriages and would be allowing members who were openly gay to serve in leadership positions in the church. And so Grace Point Church in Franklin, Tennessee, sadly joined other congregations who are taking their lead from the culture rather than from Scripture. So what is the worst thing that could happen to a church? Perhaps it closes or perhaps it embraces unhealthy, unbiblical teaching. Or you might say people remain immature. Maybe the worst thing, one of the worst things that could happen to a church is that a church remains numerically healthy, but that the people who are in the church remain immature, self-absorbed, self-focused, They're concerned about only their church and not what goes on outside these four walls. I think maybe we could add to that list, but those are some of the things perhaps that are the worst things that could happen to a church. So now another question, what is God's plan for combating these dangers and neglects? What is God designed to combat those kind of real dangers? And I want to propose to you today that the answer, I think, is he provides godly leadership for his church. In order to combat the dangers and the neglects that a church can face, God provides godly leadership for his church. Now, I don't know how often you think about this subject. I don't know how often you think about leadership in the church. Uh, And I understand. I really do. Uh, because you are, you are busy people. Some of you, you, know, you, you've got little ones at home, you're raising children, uh, you're, you're married, you've got a job, you've got grandchildren, you've got an abundance of serious responsibilities. And I know that probably you don't think often about God's gift or blessing of leadership to his church. And so I want to help you today. I seriously want to help you today and over the next few Sundays. I want to help you first by calling attention to God. I want to call our attention to this great triune God and his generous provision for his flock. And it's important, it really is important that you and I know God's plan for his church and especially his plan for leadership in his church. Now I want you to look closely with me at the text. It's Acts chapter 20. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open there. And uh, we begin reading at verse 17. And what we find here is that 
Paul was in the city of Miletus and he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Notice that. Uh, He didn't ask for all of the church to come. He asked for the elders of the church to come. He knew them and they knew him. And he calls them to come to him because he wants to address them before he leaves for Jerusalem, for he is persuaded that he will never see them again. So what he has to say to them is very heartfelt and very urgent, very important. And it's in Paul's farewell message that we learn some valuable things about God and about his plan for leadership in his church. The first thing I want to call your attention to that we're going to look at for just a moment is this. A simple statement, God provides leaders for his church. It is God who provides leaders for his church. Did you notice that Paul sent for the elders? That would be the leaders. He sent for the leaders of the congregation at Ephesus. You see, God intended his church to be led. God did not intend for his church to meander. God intended for his church to be led, and it's clear from Scripture that God has delegated elders to do the leading. You might say, Brother Van, I thought that a pastor led the church. I thought it was the pastor. But you're you're saying that God has designed and delegated elders to do the leading. Well, Scripture uses the words Elder, pastor, and overseer interchangeably. Look at verse 17 with me, if you would. He called for the elders. But then notice in verse 28, the language changes a bit. Pray careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to the same people. He's, he's referred to them as elders in verse 17. Now he refers to them as overseers. And then... Right after that, he said, to care for the church. And the word care is literally to shepherd or to pastor. Yes. And so in this farewell discourse, Paul uses all three words interchangeably. They're elders. They're elders who oversee. They are elders who pastor or shepherd the flock. Also, you'll notice in verse 17 and 28, you'll notice a plurality of elders. In verse 17, it says elders. And verse 28, overseers. And so it's more than one. It's a plurality of elders. I want you to look with me at a few verses that I want to highlight to you. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, And when they, that would be Paul and his associates, Paul and his associates, they had appointed elders for them in every church throughout Galatia. Galatia was a large region, multiple congregations there, multiple home churches. And one of the urgent necessities was that every one of those congregations would have a plurality of leadership, that they would have elders. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, notice this. Paul said, this is why I left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. What, what did this region need uh, in regards to the churches? It needed elders, leaders, a plurality 
of leaders. You see, elders, pastors, overseers are central to God's plan for shepherding his church. Throughout the Bible, we just read it a few moments ago. Throughout the Bible, God relates to his people as a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Throughout the book of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, God refers to himself as a shepherd. And and it helps us to see the kind of care that God has for his people. Then God delegates this care for his flock through the ministry of what would be called under-shepherds, elders, pastors, overseers, whom he appoints to lead his people. Now, perhaps you came from a church where the pastor was the one and only. Maybe you came from a church where there, there may have been some other people around doing some other things, but it was kind of tacitly understood that the pastor was the one and only. The kind of the buck stopped with him. Or maybe you came from a church background where there were, was a pastor and deacons. And maybe there's no mention of elders. Catherine and I came from a church where there was a pastor and a pastor's council. That's the way it was set up. And uh, I, I don't have anything derogatory to say about other methods. I would just say this. When I came to Calvary in 1994, the church government, the way things were set up here at this church was that it operated under elder rule. And ever since, ever since I came here, ever since, I have been persuaded that this is the biblical form of leadership and the best form of leadership. It's not the only, but I'm persuaded that it is biblical and it is best. And I need to say this. I probably need to say this more often. I deeply, I have deeply loved and appreciated all of the elders that I've had the privilege of serving with over the last almost 24 years. Did you know that uh, even, even you know, bef- well before I came, uh, there were elders who served this church who were fathers and grandfathers, grandfathers who had already raised their children and had grandchildren of their own. And they had multiple responsibilities in, in their life, but they were committed to leadership in this church. Some of them were fathers. They had little ones at home. We have elders right now who have little, less than six-month-old baby at home, you see. And, and so I just want you to be aware that, you know, I am in awe, friends. I am. I am in awe that despite all of the demanding work schedules and all of the family responsibilities, that over the years there have been godly men who have sacrificed their time and their resources to lead this church. And I'm in awe of that because they're busy guys. They work full-time job, and they volunteer. They sacrifice, you see. They're not paid staff, you see. They volunteer their time and sacrifice for leadership in this church. And, you know, over the years, uh, my past 24 years, we've, we've wrestled together through some very serious challenges. And I know before I came, this church has a 41-year history And there were some serious, serious challenges that were faced then. But I want you to know that it was godly, gifted, qualified elders who steered the ship through the storms. It didn't just happen. It didn't just happen that way. It was God's leadership and God's provision of godly leaders to steer the ship through the storm. And so 
And I just tell you this, I cannot imagine ministry without my fellow elders. Could not imagine what it would be like to serve in ministry here without them. And so here's what I want to say to you before we move to the next point. I would hope, see, I can't make you do this. I wouldn't even try to make you do this. But I would hope that you would love your elders, that you would love the leaders in this church. I hope you would love them, pray for them, first and foremost, because they are God's plan for leading his church. First and foremost, that. You know, you, you, you might, you know, you, you know, I say love them, you know. Just love them first and foremost because it's just, it's God's plan. It's God's plan for leadership in his church. It's his provision. It's his gift to his church. Secondly, God's leaders are to care for his church. You know, I like that picture there. I picked that picture specifically because do you see the fog? Shepherd, he's kind of looking out in the fog. There's danger out in the fog. There's danger out in that fog. There could be a wolf out there. Most likely there is. In fact, Paul says here, there's fierce wolves going to rise up. And you know, when Paul was giving this farewell address, it was not some hollow warning. It was not like, guys, watch out, watch out, watch out, but not really. <laughs> no danger. No, it's not a hollow warning at all. And you know, we know, we know this because we, we have something recorded in Scripture that, that lets us see that this very church, these elders, the church at Ephesus, somehow went off the rails. In spite of the warnings, in spite of Paul's pleading and, and, and praying with them and weeping with them later in this chapter, calling them, be careful, be careful. In spite of that, they went off the rails. We know that because in the book of Revelation, Jesus said this about the church at Ephesus. He says, I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. You know, you might add that to the list of what's the worst thing that could happen to a church. It's for people of the church to have their love for Jesus grow cold. That's what happened to the church at Ephesus. This was no hollow warning. Paul knew, Paul knew there's danger out there. And so it's clear from Paul's discourse that elders are to oversee and to care for. We see that in verse 28. So I want to think about it two ways. I want to think about it in a negative aspect and in a positive aspect. Negative first. Notice in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So notice, pay careful attention. Uh, verse 31, therefore, be alert. Now, what does this look like? Uh, Paul is saying you are to oversee the church, you are to care for it. So be alert and give careful attention to yourself and to the church. What, what does that look like? Well, maybe this verse will help. In Hebrews chapter 13, addressed to the church, the writer said, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. What, what does it look like to oversee and to give care? Is to keep watch. Can't you see a shepherd? Can't, can't you see a shepherd watching, overseeing, watching out for danger, watching out over the souls because ultimately they will have to give an account to the great shepherd. Paul uses the imagery here of wolves. 
the arch enemy of the shepherd and the sheep. Somewhere out in the fog, they're laying in wait. But that's the imagery. What is Paul pointing to by using that imagery? Well, he says it in, uh, in verse 28. Uh, well, I should say verse 29. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. See, it's not, it's not literal wolves. It is individuals who infiltrate in the church and bring false, unhealthy teaching. Twisted things, Paul said. He said, you've got to be on guard. Be alert. Be on guard. Because out there in the fog... They're lying in wait, fierce wolves, to bring in twisted, unhealthy things into the flock. But then there's the positive side. Now, we looked at the negative side, but it looks at the positive side. We have the imagery here, of a, again, of a flock. Now, how do, you, how do you oversee and care for a flock? Well, obviously, you protect them. We just mentioned that a moment ago. But you lead and feed. You lead and feed. Now, if, if the danger is unhealthy teaching, then the priority needs to be not only to guard against the false, but to provide the healthy. See, there's an emphasis here upon teaching God's word and moving God's people forward toward maturity. One of the things that's helped me the most by working through this over the last few weeks and preparing is, is seeing the emphasis that, that God has not just upon adding people in the seat, getting more people in the seat, but for the people who are already in the seat to feed them and lead them on to spiritual maturity. Notice in Colossians chapter 1, Him, that's Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul didn't say that we may may have 5,000 or we may have... 2,000, he didn't say that. No, that we may present everyone under our care mature in Christ. Galatians chapter 4, my little children for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. See, that's the kind of intensity. That's the kind of care and oversight. It's like, like, man, you know, it is, it is just, it, it is painful. It is a struggle as I work with you that you might be, Christ might be formed you. In other words, that you might be spiritually mature. Friends, elder ministry, elder ministry is more about people than programs. Programs are good. Programs are necessary. They are very helpful. But what we should see here is the emphasis is upon elder ministry being more about people than about programs. The goal of elder ministry is growing church members in Christian maturity. And so let me stop here and just say this. It should be obvious that this means if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian and you are physically able, you should be a member of a local church. If you want to walk in step with the Spirit of God, you want to walk in step with God's plan, then you, you... It's really not optional. You you must, if you are physically able, you should connect yourself as a member with a local church. One final thing that I want to call your attention to, and this may be the sweetest out of 
the whole text here is this. It's the church is God's church, and he loves it. Boy, I hope you see that today. And I know you know this. I know you do. I know. You know I struggle with this this week. I thought, yeah, I know they're going to know this. I'm going to say it. They're going to know it. But look, it's important that we thoughtfully ponder this for just a moment. Yes, it is, it is God's church, and he loves it. And why do we need to thoughtfully ponder this and never forget it? Well, one is because elders will only per- persevere in their care for the flock if they remember how valuable the flock is in God's sight. If, if, if elders, pastors, overseers in the church lose sight that it's God's church and they are precious to him, if they lose sight of that, they will not persevere. And we must persevere. We must. Now look at verse 28 with me. Just, just to underscore this, it says in the middle of the verse, it says to care for the church of God. Now, how clear could that be? I mean, this, it's God's church. But then uh, notice, and this I think is beautiful, we see each of the three persons of the Trinity sharing in the oversight. In verse 28, it says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, and then which he obtained with his own blood. Now, wait a minute. What? That doesn't say Jesus, but maybe your translation has this. It, it actually says the blood of his own, and the word own is capitalized with an O, speaking of the blood of God's own son. The blood of God's own son purchased the church, and the church belongs to God, and the Holy Spirit is involved in appointing. This is in the, the flock, which is the Holy Spirit's made you overseers. All three persons of the Trinity involved in the welfare of the church. Does it see, I know, I know you may have came with your 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 your, your stuff today, life stuff, I know. But can you can you just take in this morning that the triune God, the God who created everything, He loves and is committed to the welfare of His church. And if you are a Christian, you are part of the church. He's committed to you. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're going to have to face this week, whatever medical issues, whatever family issues, whatever financial issues, whatever time of depression and dark sorrow that you're going through, God is the over-shepherd. He's guiding. He's guiding the whole thing. But he's also in his wise providence, in his kindness, he's given under-shepherds to care for his church. Well, I want to mention a story that I ran across. And I know this goes back a little ways, but bear with me, and I think you'll get the point. Ernest Shackleton led a daring expedition in 1914 to reach Antarctica. But a year prior to that, a man named Viljamer Stephenson led an expedition in another direction to explore the North Pole. So one going to the South Pole, one going to the North Pole. Both ships that they were in found themselves trapped by solid ice packs. Each crew was faced with a fight for survival. There was cold weather, there was a shortage of food, a great deal of anxiety. But the outcome of the two expeditions could not have been more different. And so you want to ask yourself in this story, what made the difference? You see, the crew led by Stephenson 
degenerated into a band of selfish, mean-spirited, cutthroat individualists, ending in the death of all 11 crew members. Shackleton's crew, though, found and faced, I should say, the same problems, the cold, the shortage of food, and all the stress, but his crew responded with teamwork, self-sacrifice, and astounding good cheer. In the end, each leader stayed true to his own core leadership values. For Stephenson, whose crew he lost, he valued success above caring for people. He said this, The lives of crew members are secondary to the accomplishment of the work. In other words, getting to our destination is all that matters. Crew doesn't matter. That's secondary. In sharp contrast, though, Shackleton's leadership focused on the value and dignity of his teammates. In fact, the well-being of his team drove him to put others first. In other words, he, just because he was the captain of the ship, he would, he would do watch. He would sacrifice his rations to help others. Shackleton forged a team that was willing to share their rations with each other even when they were on the brink of starvation. And through his example of self-sacrificial leadership, Shackleton was able to save the lives of his entire crew. Stephenson's crew was lost. Shackleton's crew all remained alive. What made the difference? Leadership makes the difference between life and death. Friends, that's how valuable this is. That's how important this is. And isn't this what Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, did in such a greater way? He said this, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He set the example for all who would lead in his church. And so we began this morning with a question. What is the worst thing that could happen to a church? We suggested some answers, and all of them are valid. But I think now we can add another to the list. I mean, maybe, maybe to the top of the list, one of the worst things that can happen to a church is not to have godly, qualified leaders. At the end of the 9 a.m. service, I was speaking to a brother as he He's an older brother. He's been in the church for years. And he said, Pastor, he said, I know, I know of a church that right now that did not have any elders. The doors are closed today. And so if this is one of the worst things that can happen to a church, if, if it's at the top of the list or near, let us commit ourselves to pray that we may always have godly, qualified leaders. Would you do that? Would you do that? I mean, I'm speaking to you today about the health of this church today and for the future. I'm speaking to you today in regards to this for today and as we move forward by God's grace. So would you, as we work our way through this over the next few weeks, because next we're going to look at the qualification. Elders. We're also going to see why that we as a church are persuaded that God has designated that men 